I think this is going to be uh, an interesting sequel, which wasn't really planned, but uh, we, we may be able to call this Exhibit 1 or a supplement to Mr. Borjo's uh, presentation. So, um, Brian, could you give us your full name and then spell it for us, and then I'll swear your oath. Brian Berniski, B-R-Y-A-N, Berniski, B-A-R-A-N-I-S-K-I. And do you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? I do. Okay. Um, you own a hotel that includes a bar and, you know, the usual um, uh, accoutrements in Tobin Lake. Is that correct? Uh, yes, I do. We have, like, okay. a resort there. It's uh, the hotel with a restaurant. The bar, conference facilities, uh, cabins, campground, we do guided fishing. <clears throat> and it runs year-round, correct? 365 days a year, yep. Okay. Uh, at a certain point, you contracted COVID, correct? I did on March the 6th, 2021. Okay, could you tell us about that? Well, I went to work in the morning. I show up to the hotel usually at 8 o'clock in the morning, and I showed up and went to my office. I wasn't feeling good when I woke up. And I, <clears throat> I decided, well, I'm just going to hide out in my office for the day uh, so I you know, don't give anybody the flu or whatever I think I have. And uh, as the day progressed, I wasn't feeling, you know, I was getting a little bit worse. You know, I, was, I had the shakes a little bit and stuff, so I decided, well, I better go home. So I went home, and I have a house four blocks away from there, <clears throat> and drove home, went in my house, and decided I'll just lay down, and maybe it'll get better. So my son shows up at about 6 o'clock, and he hears that I'm not at work, and so he comes to check on me. And so he comes to the door, and I answer the door, and he goes, uh, uh, Dad, your lips are blue. And I said, oh, okay. I said, well, I'm trying to sleep this off, get better in the morning. <clears throat> and so anyway, he uh, takes off. And in the meantime, uh, he had phoned my ex-wife, which is his mother, and tells him the situation. Well, he, come, he comes back and he says, uh, Dad, I'm taking you to the hospital. And I said, oh, no, no, I don't think so. I said, I'm going to sleep this off. And he goes, no, get in the truck or I'm going to throw you in the truck. And, of course, me and him are always confrontational, but I was, I was too weak and stuff to argue with him, so I jumped in the truck and, okay, I'm going to the hospital. And I get to the hospital and they admit me and they do some tests on me and they tell me I've got pneumonia. And, you know, after the doctor had told me that, another nurse comes in and she takes a swab and sticks it up my nose and it's painful as hell. And, anyway, out the you know, she runs out of, out of my room and I'm sitting there and I end up spending the night. And the next morning, uh, I was having a little tough time breathing. It was getting a little worse and, and the doctor comes in and says, you have COVID. Okay, well, that's, that's new, okay. And uh, they were monitoring me fairly closely and uh, then about oh, noon or so, my breathing was getting a little tough, uh, shorter, shorter breaths. And uh, the doctor says, we got to load you up and take you to Saskatoon. And your, your oxygen levels were a bit down, were they? Uh, yeah, I shorter breaths and tougher to breathe, yeah. And, uh, you know, I knew I had something, you know, you know maybe it was pneumonia. I, you know, I've never had pneumonia before, so I didn't know what, what it entailed. 
And uh, so, yeah, so the ambulance shows up and they're concerned that whether they have enough oxygen to make it to the city or not, because it's a three hour drive. And uh, so they put an extra tank in just to make sure I'm gonna make it there. And, and uh, yeah, they loaded me up and hit the sirens and away we went flying. It, it was fast, I was looking out the back window and we were passing vehicles and, and <clears throat> siren on pretty much all the way there. Get into Saskatoon University Hospital. They admit me as about half an hour in the waiting room and, uh, or not in the waiting room, just waiting to get a, get a bed, I guess. And then finally they, they admit me into a, a room and they're monitoring mm -hmm. me. My breathing is getting worse. They got, uh, they got me on a mask. And the next day, uh, yeah, I was getting worse and worse and worse. And the next day I'm off to ICU into the, into, uh, the ward they had uh, offer uh, all the COVID patients. There's, I think there was like 10 rooms all separately isolated behind glass. And so uh, on oxygen, of course, and it was getting worse and worse. And pretty soon I was on 90% required oxygen. And so the doc goes, we're going to have to put you on the ventilator if it gets any worse than this. And of course, they they put a tube down my nose, a feeding tube, and yeah, like I don't know if you've seen the picture. It was on CBC News anyway because I was the anti-lockdown guy, so they had to beat me up. And uh, so then that night, uh, or it's the second day in, the doc comes in. He says, "Let your you better get a hold of your family and tell them to prepare for the worst because." As I'm there for my two days, I see them taking body bags out. There's people dying, right, and that are dying of COVID. <clears throat> and uh, so I, and I'm down to short breaths, like <sighs> that's how I'm breathing all day long because I've got no lung lung capacity. And uh, so then, uh, when the doc tells that, I figure, well, you know, how am I going to not to call my kids and worry them? I just start writing letters, right? So I. And I figured this is it for me, right? This is, you know, he's telling me to prepare for the worst. I know what that meant. And so I'm writing letters, you know, to people that I figure that should hear from me. And third day in, I was still holding at 90%. <clears throat> and uh, then I woke up one morning and I had the feeding tube out of my nose. And I figured, oh, Jesus, now they're going to fight to put that back in. It was painful as hell. And uh, the dog goes, oh, no, you know, I, maybe not. He says, you're down to 85% oxygen. He says, maybe we don't have to put that back in. So I monitored me for a few more days. And, uh, you know, I hovered around that 85%, you know, not, not over 90. So I wasn't on the ventilator. And the staff treated me really good. Um, one nurse, like, brought me chicken noodle soup because I said, hey, if I'm going to die, can I die with chicken noodle soup in me? Like, you know, because I don't get none, none here, right? So yeah, she went home, made homemade chicken noodle soup and brought it to me. She said she wasn't supposed to do that, but she brought it to me anyway, which I'm thankful for. And finally, I get out of ICU 10 days later, and they put me in recovery. And I'm still on, you know, I'm down to 65% required oxygen, and it won't get any better, and it's it's staying the same they tried to get me you know down to 55 and i'd struggle to breathe and they'd put me back up and and so the doc i had several doctors that would come through every you know throughout the time i was there you know probably three or four different doctors and the 
you know, one doc says, you know, you could be here for a couple of months, you know, we've seen it where it takes a while to get your, to recover, you get your lung capacity back. And I figured, geez, I'm not sticking around here for a couple of months. And uh, in the meantime, the CBC had done a story on me while I was in ICU with the, the tubes and everything in me and they posted it on social media and on the CBC news. And of course, all the people beat me up there, you know, that they were on the social media, they were commenting about how bad of a guy I was and wasn't following the rules and I was the anti-lockdown guy. And then uh, uh, Joseph Borgo, the previous guy that was just on here, he heard, seen me on CBC News and uh, he phoned up the hotel who my son was running at that time. Uh, in the meantime, they had shut my hotel down. They had shut it down for two weeks. Kicked everybody out of the rooms, kicked, told everybody they had to leave. Uh, my son wasn't even allowed to go there. Uh, I was peeved off because it was on autopilot. It was on autopilot for three days in the entire hotel, 12,600 square feet, mechanical systems running, everything. Nobody's allowed in that hotel for three days. Not my son, he's told to be isolated. And I was furious, wild at the government. I, was, I couldn't believe that they're handling it like, like this. Like this thing could blow up, there could be a water leak, but nobody was allowed in the hotel for three days because we were, were we had a COVID outbreak, they said, at the hotel. So that was fine. I was arguing with my son to get back there. And of course, his mom and my ex-wife was saying, no, listen to public health. Don't get in any more trouble. Your dad's in enough trouble already, right? And so anyway, that's, that's how that went down. We, we ended up opening up two weeks later, we had to get an independent cleaner to come clean the entire hotel because they wouldn't let any of our staff do it because they might have COVID. And uh, so yeah, so anyway, I'm back in, in the hospital trying to recover here. And uh, my ex-wife, of course, she's bringing me grapes and chocolate bars and stuff up to the ward, not allowed to see me because I'm isolated. And uh, she, you know, I, this is probably day 20-some that I'm already there, and she's brought grapes and stuff several times. And in the meantime, Joseph had called me and said, hey, you know, I seen you on CBC News, and uh, of course he got the number from my son, and because uh, I had my cell phone right by my bedside. <clears throat> and he said, I like to fight in you, he says, but, uh, you know, introduce himself. I, you know, we had a lot of common. I used to farm, and he had Borgo Industries, so we had, we had actually owned some of his cultivators. And... Uh, so, you know, had a good introduction there for about half an hour. And then Joseph says to me, he says, you go get some quercetin and some zinc. He says, and you're going to walk out of that hospital in five days. And I figured, oh, well, I'm going to try that for sure. And he said, I've, you know, I've run a health food store and I've, I've helped lots of people with COVID and they've all recovered with quercetin and zinc. So I phone up one of my wait staff. Uh, I have 25 employees in the summer but about you know, 12 to 13 in the winter. And uh, one of my waitresses in the city I, that I'm fairly good friends with, I, I phoned her up and said, go down to the health food store, get some cursinin and some zinc, bring it up to this, uh, this ward up here at the University Hospital and, and uh, I'll e-transfer you whatever it is. So she did that, I e-transferred. She said the amount and so the next day I still hadn't got my stuff. So I said to the nurse, I said, I, I'm supposed to get a package up here, delivered up here. And she goes, yeah, she goes, it was delivered up here, but I showed it to the doctor and the doctor says, you can't have it. I said, oh, okay. I said, no, it's not prescribed by us, by the doctor. And he, whatever's prescribed by him, that's all you can have. You can't bring any other medicine in from outside. So I figured, okay, I got to think this one out. 
So I phoned up my ex-wife and said, go down to the health food store, go buy some cursinum zinc. And I said, break it up, take, open up the bottle, throw the pills in the bottom of the grapes and bring it up here. So, <laughs> so she does, uh, does what I tell her and brings it up there. And of course, uh, she told me not to mention her name. She goes, I'll get in trouble, don't mention my name. Yeah, okay, well, I'm not gonna mention her name, but uh, you guys are all figured out who she is already. But uh, so then uh, the nurse brings, looks, sees his grapes and chocolate bars and brings it through. And of course, that was on a Tuesday. So Tuesday, uh, Joe said to take it during your, your supper and dinner meals. So uh, this was a Tuesday afternoon when I got this package. And uh, so I took a cursing and zinc at supper that, that night. And then the next morning for breakfast, I took two more. I figured, you know, another zinc, another cursing. And I, heck, I'm just about dead anyway. I might as well what the heck is he using, doing three? He said it was maybe hard in the liver and stuff, but I figured that's the least of my worries. And uh, so I took it three times. I took it at breakfast the next day, uh, lunch, and supper. By supper, I had improved quite a bit. Um, the doctor noticed it. He says, yeah, he says, you know, your oxygen requirements are down a bit. He says, you're down to like, I think it was 45 or 50%. And... Uh, so, of course, I never said nothing to him. And uh, the next morning, on Thursday morning, took the same routine three more times during that day by, by supper, or just after supper, when the doctor came through, he goes, he goes, you've improved quite a bit. He said, uh, he said if you carry this on, he says, if you get under, under 30%, we can ship you back to Nippon. He says, you can go to the hospital there. So the next day, um, I was down to less than 30%. So then uh, uh, the doc goes, yeah, we can, we can transfer you over to, to Nippon. And so he said, I'll line up an ambulance. And the ambulance was like 1500 bucks or something like that. And, and I said, well, hey, can I just catch a ride with my ex-wife? I said, she has a house back in Tobin. She's going back Friday nights anyway because she has a business in Saskatoon. She comes up Monday night and comes back Friday night. Or comes up Monday morning, comes back Friday night. So anyway, after being convincing to the doctor, I uh, he said, ah, okay. He said, we'll just give you an extra oxygen tank to take, take with you, but take, she's got to take you straight to Nippon. I said, yep, fair, fair enough. So anyway, as I'm getting my clothes on and signing out the release forms and everything, as you're getting out of the hospital, I said, Doc, I said, I got to tell you something. I said, uh, this is tough here, but um, I, I said, uh, you got to uh, uh, give this cursing and zinc to everybody that comes in here. I said, because I smuggled it in here. And uh, so he looks at me and he goes, how, how do you spell it? I said, curse it, and I spelled it. And uh, so he goes and researches it, and he goes, well, he says, we can't. He says, it's in Health Canada trials, and we're not allowed to prescribe it yet. And I said, let me guess. It's going to be in Health Canada trials till everybody gets a vaccine, right? And he smiled and walked away. And then, yeah, I went to Nippon. And uh, so I get to Nippon, I'm in the hospital for three days there, and finally they release me, they get the oxygen set up in my uh, house. So I got oxygen, they give me uh, five tanks of oxygen, these little portable ones so I can move around or whatever. So three days I get checked out of Nippon Hospital, I'm head back to my place, and of course I gotta get back to work. The first thing I do as soon as I get home, I grab an oxygen tank and head down to the hotel, right? Dragging this oxygen tank, away I go. 
a few hours later, it's all used up, so I gotta go back get another one. And next thing you know, my five tanks are used up. And, and I've, over each day, I was reducing it a bit anyway, so I, but I didn't have enough to get through for the, for the remainder. But my mom, who's in the 80s, she's in a senior's home, so I sent my son, I said, I said, Brady, I said, take these five empty, empty oxygen tanks, go to see Grandma and bring her full ones back here. So he, <laughs> he, he took the five empty ones there to her place and brought the five full ones back, right? Because I, I was only getting oxygen once a month is when the person showed up there, right? So he used up a few of those tanks, and then pretty soon I, you know, about five days out of the hospital, five days after being out of the hospital, I was off of oxygen, and I was back to normal. And okay. I have not been sick since. So uh, I'm going to move you along a little bit. Um, I think you're, you're sitting here hale and healthy at the moment. So I think you obviously recovered, what was it, 30 days you went through this ordeal? Uh, yeah, I was, in, <clears throat> was admitted in the hospital on March 6th, and I got released from NIP-1 April 3rd. Okay. Tell me about the uh, financial consequences of what you're doing on COVID. I, well, I got, part of the, the reason CBC was beating me up is because I got two $14,000 fines and then we got five $2,800 fines. Uh, some of my staff members got uh, for wearing, for failing to wear a mask. And they shut you down for a certain period, right? Two weeks. Okay. Yeah, probably lost $50,000, we figured. Yeah. Yeah. And how many staff did you have that you had to send home? Uh, was 13 staff all got sent home. Okay. Yeah, so one of the staff, uh, one of the staff was, uh, she had an exemption for a mask, and then, which was fine, the public health supervisor who had been to the hotel several times uh, had said, you know, that uh, she was okay at first, and then finally he came out there, he goes, no, exemptions aren't, we're not accepting ex exemptions anymore. He said, you have to fire her. I said, or else make her wear a mask. I said, no, I said, I'm not. I said, you can go tell her that. And so he went up to her, he says, you either put a mask on or you have to go home or I'm gonna give you a $2,800 fine. She goes, fine, I'll go home then. And so she went home. And uh, so yeah, some of the, the fines they, they gave me, so of course the, the uh, supervisor from public health, uh, he'd phone me up pretty much every second day, right? He always had a complaint, uh, you know, like what we were doing and, and we were, we had our feet stuck in where we were, we were, yeah, we were anti-lockdowns for sure, right? We were, you know, wherever there was a, a loophole, we'd try and figure out how to work around it. Okay. Uh, one of the times I'll give you an example is that they lowered it to 10 people private party, right? That's all you could have at a household. So we had the bar that was open, or sorry, that was closed, locked up, but we'd have 10 people in there every night because people wanted to come there. And we, you know, we carried on like normal, you know, but except the doors are locked. And one time the RCMP showed up and of course we were getting complaints and they're at the door and no, you can't come in. Sorry, we already got our 10 people in there, you, you know. So of course the way they went, we wouldn't let them in and there was nothing they could do about it. It was, we had the doors locked and we weren't open to the public. It was a private party, right? So um, that's some of the things how we carried, carried through. Um, Oh, what else did we have going on? Yeah, well, like when they, when they give us the $14,000 fines, uh, the one was uh, failing to uh, keep track of all the customers who was there. We had a book, we had a, a desk at the front of the restaurant uh, that you signed in, 
And so anyway, they had come there one time and they give us a fine because three of the names were unreadable and then some of them were like, they were, you know, a little bit vulgar, some of them. They're like, uh, there was Daffy Duck, uh, Phil McCrotch, and, uh, uh, <laughs> and then there was like, they'd write a number of, you know, 768FU, like, you know, writing stuff like that down. Like they, you know, some of the people just were not following the rules. And, you know, we weren't, I, I couldn't have an extra staff to monitor sitting at the, at the table. So, of course, they come in there and we got a $14,000 fine for that. And then the other fine we got was uh, failing to ask for a vaccine passport. So, and that was controversial too, because I was working the morning in the restaurant and then there was a public health girl, which I knew that she worked for public health. She was sitting at one of the tables in order and I'd taken her order and everything. And the story, I hadn't taken her order yet. Uh, I'd brought her water and everything. And, and then my son Brady showed up and I said, uh, table two, I said, I haven't taken their order or anything yet. Uh, you can go grab it. So he goes over there with a mask and everything. He puts a mask on because he says, hey, that's a public health girl over there. Just make sure you get your mask on, right? So we're you know, trying to hide it, right? And he goes over there, mask on and everything. And then he gets fined for failing to ask for a vaccine passport. And so of course, Brady goes, well, I didn't know if my dad asked for it. I, I, I just assumed that he asked for it. And no, it didn't matter. So we got nailed a $14,000 fine because she never got asked. She never uh, uh, got asked for the vaccine passport. So you've kind of set us up there. We thought it was, you know, kind of dirty. Of course, the same thing, three cop cars show up and the public health people and they get out. There's, I swear to God, where there's the biggest drug, drug bust there ever happened and they come out and give us a $14,000 fine, right? Middle of the afternoon, cause a big scene so all the customers can see it and everything. And... Yeah, so we fought them all. Of course, we lost. They, they, the gov, the judge. He wasn't, uh, he wasn't, you know, on our, on my side for sure. I didn't think right. He just thought, you know, that the government had the right to invoke those policies, and I didn't follow them, and that's just too bad, right? And he did reduce the fine down to twelve thousand uh, dollars. So we got two of those fines. Then I got a twenty-eight hundred dollar fine. My son got a twenty-eight hundred dollar fine. Three of the staff got $2,800 fines, and the RCMP officer that give those tickets out also stated to the three girls, said, if you put your mask on and the next time we come in here uh, and you have your mask on, we'll, we'll uh, just like, get, get rid of those three tickets. And, of course, went to court, and we tell that story, and the judge goes, the, the RCMP don't have the authority to... to, uh, to uh, uh, release your tickets on a public health order. So they all got nailed $2,800 too. Okay, due to the late, late hour, I'm going to ask the commissioners if they have any questions. I think that's a no. So on behalf of the National Citizens Inquiry, thank you so much for uh, giving us your evidence. Thanks.